Hello, my friends. This is the podcast that brings a wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. And that's Not Just Blowing Smoke. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. Hey everybody, that was Jeff Bitchell's Fat Cigar you were listening to, and that means it's time for Not Just Blowing Smoke. Coming at you live from Twins Smoke Shop Studio Headquarters in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Be sure to subscribe to us here on YouTube, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, Google, basically wherever you get your podcast from. I'm Pastor Padrone. I'm here with my co-hosts, Paul and Dave. Nick is off tonight, but we are privileged to have very special guest Jorge Armenteros on the show with us. He is the founder and president of Tobacconist University. Jorge, thank you so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we uh, talk to Jorge, we're going to be smoking the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series Presidente Maduro. Another cigar with a very long formal name. <laughs> it's a. Uh, this was released back in 2017. It was uh, Padron's second uh, tubo release cigar. The first being the Padron 90, and this one, uh, being in the uh, 64 series, has the uh, box pressed uh, tube as well, which brings up the question: Is it a tubo, <laughs> or is it a box? Boxo. <laughs> I don't know. But it's a uh, Nicaraguan Maduro wrapper, Nicaraguan binder filler. It's a Toro size, 6x50. And, uh, Paul, what are we pairing with this tonight? So tonight we are pairing it with one of my favorite Jack Daniels products, the Gentleman Jack. Uh, if anyone's ever had the original Jack Daniels, uh, this is just a, more of a premium version of that. It mm -hmm. uh, goes through a double mellowing process where it's choco filtered before it goes into the barrel. And before it goes into the bottle. Excellent. Yes, it is very good. And um, Jorge, you're having some Macallan? Yes, sir. Macallan 12 Sherry Oak Cask. Very, very nice. Very nice. So before we get to talking to Jorge about everything, um, Paul, what, what's your initial thoughts on the cigar and the pairing? Well, uh, the cigar on its own, uh, I've we've obviously have done Padron before, mm -hmm. so the 64 series, you got a lot of chocolate notes, uh, nice earthy notes, as well as uh, that uh, little bit of pepper, too. Mm -hmm. Very, very smooth. Uh, obviously, if it's Padron, it's very, very smooth. But yeah. you definitely got a lot more of the, uh, getting a lot more chocolate notes out of this one. We've done the the Toro before about a month or so ago. Yep. But this one particular, uh, maybe it's the ring size, but I'm picking up a lot more chocolate notes out of this one. This mm. is a really, really smooth, chocolatey, peppery cigar. Yeah. Dave? My first retro hill was that uh, with this, I almost, like, coughed. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this was really strong. Uh, but, yeah, it's like a lot of cocoa, mm -hmm. like cacao cocoa, mm. um, and a lot of pepper. Love it. Mm. Now, this is... Very similar size, right, Jorge, to the uh, Exclusivo? Yeah, I think it's a half inch longer. Yeah, something like that. 
more delightful. Yeah, it is. You know, all right, I'm going to come clean. Uh-oh. I'm going to come clean here. Pastor's coming clean. So Jorge and I, we go back to like 1999, 2000, yeah. something. I was a... Uh, customer at his store, Little Taste of Cuba in Princeton, New Jersey. And then I got uh, hired there part-time and the one of the centerpiece brands for, for that store was Padron and uh, the Exclusivo from that point to today <laughs> is still one of my favorite cigars. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Exclusivo changed the world of cigars as far as I'm concerned. It, I mean, the anniversary series did. Yeah. Practically invented elegant, sophisticated Nicaraguans. Mm. Uh, you know, you back then you would have thought in the early 90s, Nicaraguans are more like Teamos, you know, rustic Central American tobacco. And then they they came out with the uh, the Exclusivo. We, we, we didn't even put it on the shelf till like a couple of years ago. We had to hide them. Uh, <laughs> it was so complex. You would smoke that cigar and you would just have to sit down and stop talking and you'd be wondering, what am I tasting? You know, what's happening here? And that's the greatest cigar in the world. One that makes you shut up and just be present. <laughs> um, and then they pioneered the box press on that cigar too. So yeah, yeah this, this is like the bigger brother. I mean, this is even more exciting. Yeah, I love this cigar. The Presidente um, uh, is one of the best tasting Padrones I think on the market right now. Um, it's mm. it's a really incredible cigar. It is. Yep. Now, am I remembering right, Jorge, that that a little taste of Cuba kind of started off, or it was the offshoot of a college project you had going for you when you were in business school? Well, I made it. You know, I wanted. I felt I walked into Georgetown Tobacco like my sophomore year in college, mm -hmm. like '92, and uh, actually I met a retired spy. He told me he used to work there when he wasn't in the Congo. And uh, he was a pipe smoker. So I had to go in. And I remember the moment I walked in, I opened the door. I took one foot in, stepped on the wood. I hear the creaking. I took a breath. I remember the smell of the well-marinated tobacconist. I fell madly in love with the place. Mm. And um, Cigar Aficionado was coming out at the time or had just come out. Castro was on the cover. And uh, I just fell in love with the industry. And I'd always loved cigar shops. And my grandfather and dad smoked. And But uh, then I thought, well... You know, maybe I can turn this into a business. So I ended up doing a paper on it, I think, for like an entrepreneurship class. But I, I didn't get the idea because of the college. Uh, I got the idea because I loved it. Right, right. Okay, cool. Um, now, then you ended up opening in New Jersey. Why New Jersey? Well, I had my business plan set for Marietta, Georgia. Because yep. my dad lived there. And I was able to borrow like $42,000 from <laughs> my father. And then the, the business plan was ready. And then he said, my company's moving me. I can live in New Jersey, New York, or Connecticut. And uh, I started scouting towns. I went to Princeton. I fell in love. And, uh, you know, but based on the advice of a friend uh, or a friend of his. So, you know, I'm not a genius. It takes a lot of luck sometimes to get lucky or to get be successful. And that's how I found Princeton. And I found it just in time. You know, the cigar boom had kicked in. I opened in September of 95. I was there by May of I mean, I packed up right after graduation. I was already packed. I graduated. I got in the van, and I went to New Jersey, rented a space, and I've been there for over 25 years now. Mm. And it's, it is a gorgeous place. It's, you know, the universe, 
Princeton, you know, he's right down on Witherspoon Street. Um, you've got these great uh, cherry blossom trees lining both sides of the road going down there. Oh. It's You couldn't ask for a better location. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, do you still have the uh, Cuban jazz played in there every day? No, you know, as I spent le- less time in the store, my standards have been uh, undermined by staff. Oh, wait, now we play pop, uh, you know, we have like uh, hip hop Friday nights, whatever the customers want, you know, but you're right. I mean, I was thinking back when he asked me to do this, I thought, oh, Dan worked for me like six or seven years ago, but you worked for me 20 years ago. Yeah, just about. Which is wild, you know, time flies. Um, I want to note that you are like my favorite type of tobacconist. Um, in that you come to the business with an innate passion, like uh, a, a knowledge. It's just in you, you know, like a cigar maker. They say it's in their blood. You're the ultimate tobacconist. Um, I'd say only one in 10, two in 10 tobacconists are like that. You know, there's a lot of uh, guys who are into the trend or just, you know, experimenting and they pretend that they have a giant passion, but you are really the the hardcore uh, you know, to a to a owner, a retail shop owner, you're a gift because we could train you on things, merchandising, cleaning, or whatever. But real passion is not something you can teach. So that's something definitely. While I didn't realize it was 20 years ago, it's something I've always remembered, and I could probably count on one and a half hands how many of those I've had, and I've had over 100 employees. Over 100, jeez. Yeah, that's wild I too. That, I remember when you were interviewing me, you were like, "Hey, I, I, my retention rate is super high. Nobody ever quits. So if I don't fire you. You know, you better be here forever. <laughs> You've had over 100 people in, in that time. That's amazing. Well, stores, yeah, right. I had another store in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but, you know, times have changed. Actually, you come from that era. In the 90s, if your wife wanted to call you, uh, she'd call the shop, right? Not everybody. Yeah. And, and she did. <laughs> right. And then up. So. But now people are glued to their apparatus. You know, you think you're the epicenter of the universe. Uh, It's changed the human brain. It's changed the culture. Um, Not as many people take tobacconist jobs as second jobs. You know, it's just we live in a different world. And uh, I would definitely say in the last decade, you know, the nature of the people we're we're lucky enough to employ when they're good, that has changed. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, Now, being in the retail business for 25 years is a huge accomplishment. Um, and I totally congratulate you on that. I'm mm-hmm. so uh, pleased we to have been do. with you at the beginning, especially. Yeah. Um, who were some of the people who really helped you on your way and, and uh, helped you uh, build that 25-year success that you've had? Wow, thank you for that. Um, well, definitely David Berkebile at Georgetown Tobacco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to school in Washington, D.C. I fell madly in love with that shop. I've always patterned my own shops after that. Um, and and he's been extremely helpful, you know, in his years as the RTDA, IPCPR president, and just a friend, you know. Sure. And then, of course, the Padrones, I was lucky enough to meet them in the early 90s, I think, before they took off and were tremendously uh, successful and famous, although they have been successful already. Um, and uh, the old man took a liking to me, and the whole family was magnificent, and I uh, was really lucky to to be there on the ground floor um, before things got crazy. So, and and I, you know, I used to buy padrones for my dad and my grandfather used to smoke them when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was an important brand before the country or the world knew that they were an important brand. 
Uh, so I was just lucky, you know, I, there's a lot of luck involved and, and I got a good share of it. Yeah, it's awesome. I remember, you know, uh, you, you had an uncle who used to work part time at the store, I think. And you were telling me this, uh, how uh, one of the uh, Fuentes had come up and you were trying to get a Fuente account with them to get Opus into the store. And, and he said, don't you want your cigars up sitting next to these and blew some smoke into his face. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then they showed up. <laughs> that was a, I, I I'll never forget. I, and I've told this story before. My first Opus X was a Corona. I don't remember what size it was, but I had it at your store. Been hearing about them. They were all talked up and everything. And <clears throat> at the time, you know, Shifts were like what four or five hours, maybe at a time. Yeah, and you know, um, I smoked it, you know, over the course of the shift. And I remember locking the doors and sitting down on the couch and then just saying, I am completely stoned. <laughs> and I just sat there about 30 minutes staring out the front door and then my brain started to work again. I said, well, I don't think I need another one of those for a while. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was a strong, strong cigar back then. That hasn't happened to me too many times yeah, since. Yeah, I would think not. Your constitution has evolved. Yes, it has. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Out, up, you know, whatever, whatever direction that there is. Um, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your shop, too, and being there was that, it, you know, you were totally into the cigars. But you were also into pipes and tobacco as well. And as I've gone to other shops, you know, throughout the, the Northeast of New England, that is such a rarity to see a tobacco mm -hmm. shop taking pipes seriously. How important mm -hmm. do you think it is for shops to be catering to that uh, particular market? Well, you know, I did it because I was uh, aspirational and I wanted to be like Georgetown. Right. And um, they were great at it. You know, my detriment, my weakness has always been that that's not my first love. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not even like a good mistress to me. But <laughs> I wanted to be in that, you know, tobacconist university. We use the term tobacconist because, you know, you're an expert dealer in tobacco and all the related accoutrements. And to really right. understand, let's say, dark air cured tobaccos, you need to understand the world of light tobaccos. And so... To the to your question, I mean, I think it, you're right because 90 percent, 95 percent of every shop out there is really a cigar shop, right? But I think if you're in this business long enough, all you're going to end up doing is looking for new ways to make more money because the bills get bigger, the insurance gets worse, um, and so you you know you're going to gravitate towards pipes and tobaccos, um, but it's a challenge. It's especially it's a lot of inventory to sit on. Yes. It doesn't turn like cigars. The pipes don't turn like cigars. There's always some knucklehead dropping a pipe and breaking a shank. Right? <laughs> You're a customer, right? Shoplifting is a beast. It's difficult. It's mm. challenging. Um, you got the labor of bulk packaging, which is fine, you know, because it's an opportunity to talk to a customer, but it's challenging. Um, but I, I love the word tobacconist. I love the profession of being a tobacconist. And so I've never been a great pipe tobacconist, but I've always tried to stay in it because I thought it was very important and did my best, even though I'm not the best at it. Yeah, well, I think mm -hmm. you did a great job with that. That you know, that's 
you know, I was instilled at your shop a love for pipes as well as a love for cigars. And, and, um, you know, now, you know, they've, you know, I'm not only am I managing a, a store up here, but I'm in charge of the pipes and tobaccos for twins. And, um, that all goes back to, to you and your shop and the training that I got there. And, and, uh, I'm very happy with it. I, I love both, you know, they're, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, one of these things where uh, Pastor Padron goes both ways. Mm, that's what we hear it's, on the streets. <laughs> the cigars, <laughs> like, yes, I'm sure you do. Do you remember the first time you called me Pastor Padron? No, no, I didn't know I coined the term. I, I'm sure I've called you worse, so let's go with that. You have. You've, you've, called, me much, you've called me much worse. Uh, let's I've been afraid of that. my yeah, life right? a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when uh, I... I uh, you know, one of the things, you know, we could, you know, do there was, you know, like I got my first DuPont, you know, with, with you. And I remember, you know, having it ordered and, and was going to put it on, you know, have, you know, payments out of my paycheck for a month or whatever. And uh, I, I apparently, you know, should have told them that we ordered that for me. And yeah. oh, my Lord, yeah. I thought I was going to be murdered. Like the mob was going to come after me or something. No, that's but, terrible. Yeah, right? I am 20 years later. I was more feisty in my 20s, though, but you should mm. definitely uh, check up on that with any boss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big mistake on my part. Good <laughs> grief. But I remember one day walking into the shop, and you're sitting on the couch reading the paper, and you look up and you say, oh, look who it is, Pastor Padron. Uh. And... That was the first time somebody called, and everybody kind of laughed and giggled. Oh, Pastor Padron, yeah, that's what you smoke all the time. And here it is, twenty years later. That's that's my nickname, Pastor wow. Padron. I figured to myself, well, it could be worse. Yes, I'll just keep that. You know, but you're the guy. You're the guy who coined it. Wow. I'm surprised you don't remember. You're not exactly painting a great picture of me, but uh, I was young. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I opened that shop when I was twenty-one. I was uh, rambunctious. Yeah, you were a young dude. Well, we all thought you were going to have a halo the way he talks about you all the time. So Wow, that's sweet of you. Very oh, nice. You're the man. Yep. If I'm the Darth Piper, you're you're the emperor over you know everything. So I'm actually a big fan of uh, your current boss. I love Kurt. I think he's a great guy. I think he's brilliant. I love his temperament. Um, he's a special guy. And, uh, you know, there's probably only a handful or two of those around him. Um, that I know pretty well, so we're very blessed to have Kurt as a boss. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I could not have ended up at a better place. It's a Kurt's a great guy, and he knows his stuff, and um, um, he has he has high standards too, which I really appreciate. It's it's really really been great working with him. So, how did Tobacconist University start? Where did the idea come from to start? doing something to train other people's staff in the art okay. of uh, tobacconist stuff. So uh, I opened in September of 95. By January, I knew I was a complete idiot, even though I'd read everything I could. <laughs> January 96, I went to Cuba just to, to really try and, because, you know, it doesn't matter how much you hang out in shops, and if you've read everything there is to read on cigars at the time, you literally could read everything there is to read. Mm. And I did. And it wasn't enough. So I went to Cuba. I got lucky. I I had ran into the director general of uh, Cuba Tobacco at the Partagas Bar. We became like, you know, great friends. 
mm. uh, drinking there. And he gave me access to farms <laughs> and all sorts of old um, books and documents and uh, really cool stuff. And when I got back, I turned it into like a fundamental educational course for my tobacconist because I, I you know, I always wanted, I didn't want to compete on price or volume in my business. I wanted to be a luxury, a boutique, a product specialist. You know, I wanted to be the best professional we could be. And so it made sense that if I'm having a hard time being that person, I need to create a system to help others. Mm. And uh, I started on that in 96. And I believe by November of that year, we started teaching a course at a local hotel in a, where the general manager was a customer of mine. We had like 30 or 40 or more customers come in and we taught it over the course of a month. It was called Cuban Cigar University. Um, then I had opened a store by November of that year in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And a year or two later, I opened another one back in at Marietta, Georgia, Atlanta, um, where my uncle and aunt ran it. So I was training them. I was certifying consumers. And um, it used to be a giant binder. It still is. I mean, it, you know, that's the old version. I have it. Right. That I would give to employees. And then I developed a test. Um, and then around 03, you know, I saw the way the industry was going, uh, so many challenges, uh, retail side, legislation, taxation, that I wanted to, I call it turning it inside out, you know, instead of just making it for our shops, I wanted to make it for every shop. And I spent from 03 to like 05, 06, you know, because you, you think it's simple. Oh, I'll just make it for everybody and I'll put it online. Sure, but it was a lot of work, and then when you do that, you see all the holes you have. So I had to double down on pipes, make that better, get video for rolling. So it was a process, but I think by '06 we became um, the official academic curriculum of what was converting from the RTDA to then being the IPCPR. Right, and uh, you know we've just been growing since. Uh, you know I remember uh, we didn't have any. My own my employees were the only certified tobacconists at the time, and slowly but surely i mean i think today we're up over 667 or something certified retail tobacconists um with you know many more than that apprenticing so it's it's been quite the ride yeah no that's awesome and uh, you know that's what that's what my uh, degree says is cuba cigar university i remember getting this packet of was it it had to be 50 60 70 pages of oh the big binder yeah you got binder. that stuff and yeah. uh, then taking the test and and stuff like that and now you've got not only have you written a book which is, having written some books on my own i know how much work goes into yeah. that but Crazy. then you've got a second edition yeah and we expanded and you now there's hookahs you know are covered in that as well um hey thank you Appreciate yeah it. it's, it's amazing yeah we got the book right there um Came out beautiful. It's great print quality. That's with a like a big fancy publisher, so it's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Did you self-publish the first one? I did, and it went for ten years. And I probably made a lot more money on it. The publishers don't pay you that much, but I wanted to create a better-looking product that was a lot more reasonably priced. And that thing right now is on sale on Amazon. The Tobacconist Handbook for like seventeen dollars. It's unbelievable. So that's awesome. Puts it in more people's hands, and it's gorgeous quality. The paper, the pictures, really nice. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, uh, one of our guys, Pat, who recently got certified, loved the introduction to the to the book. Um, who was that written by? It was one of the um, 
Well, we have the original intro uh, forward was George Padron, and then this one, and we have, of course, we didn't, we kept that, and oh, then um, Glenn Luke, uh, just before he finished his tenure there at the CRA, wrote the intro for this. So, really good people. Yeah, people are loving it and everything. Um, how difficult was it for you to put all that into a book, and what what kind of things? How did you have to change? Oh, it was a few teaching things to to get it in it because it's one thing to talk to people; it's another thing to put it in writing that most people are going to be able to understand. That's a great question because that's like torture because everything is truncated <laughs> in there, and it, it, you know how do you truncate these things and how do you talk about cigar rolling and so. You know, ninety uh, percent of our rate, seventy-six percent of our Amazon ratings are five star. Fourteen percent are four star. The, the rest, if we get a bad rating, people say stuff like um, it's not in depth enough. Well, that's crazy talk. But there is a <laughs> good, valid point there that we cannot go in depth enough into everything. You know, if you go to our online curriculum, we have videos. We're much more verbose. You sure. can go on and on about things, right? Right. Um, even our online curriculum, though, isn't like a forum where there's just a lot of verbal masturbation going on and people <laughs> talk incessantly about things, maybe. So it is really hard to distill things, to get to the au of what TU is and what the handbook is. And back to your previous question, it's TU is meant to give a strong educational and product foundation to professional tobacconists. And we don't expect, we're not teaching you how to work for twins or any other store, right? We give you the product foundation, your owner, your leadership, your managers can layer on everything they want after that. But if, right. if a person goes to work at a cigar shop, you hand them the tobacco in his handbook or you tell them to go get certified, you know that that's gonna be a strong foundation, you know, to build a house upon or a career upon or a profession or a passion. And there's a lot of bad information out there. The internet is full of good and full of bad. Yeah. And it can be hard to discern. So filtering and distilling was really, it's painful because I read that and I'm, I want to add more and more. Like, how do you do fermentation in just a paragraph, the three, four sentences? It's ridiculous, but it is what it is. It's not a novel, right? It doesn't have like a big, beautiful arc. It's really trying to cram 10 pounds of whatever into a five pound bag. And that's why it's called a handbook and not a Bible, for example. Right, right, right. So, what are some of the, the challenges you had to overcome to get that off the ground and into other people's shops? I mean, it's, it's one thing for you to require your own staff to do it, but then how do you go about talking to other tobacconists and other short store owners and saying, hey, you should really think about reading I've this never, book? I've never said that to anybody. You know, it, There's two types of uh, people out there in the world with respect to TU, Tobacconist University. There's the ones that get it and want it, and the ones that don't, and don't care. And I've never sold it. We've never advertised. Um, it speaks to people who want that credibility and that foundation, who want to learn. And then, like, we did the trade show for over a decade, and we would give manual exams there, and people come up. One guy, this is a great story we have with the, the girls who used to work the booth with me, Came up, he said, I was in the jungles of Nam for 18 months. Uh, what are you going to certify me on? You certify, I was certified in the jungles of Nam. And we're like, no, well, sorry. Uh, we cannot, we understand. Thank you. You know, <laughs> you don't push. Uh, tobacconists are some of America and the world's greatest individualists. You're hard headed, you're stubborn. You know, many of them are super smart. 
but it's uh, it's not something we push, right? There's no, you either get it and you want it or you don't. We've always hoped and believed, and it's been proven true that the substance of what we do speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Certification is, you know, a promotional vehicle because once you sign up, you accept the code of ethics and standards. So we establish that there is such a thing for a professional. Simple things, right? Like ID checking, sanitary procedures, whatever. Merchandising products with a care and integrity. And then there's an academic curriculum and then you get tested on that and you pass and your listing rotates and there are other benefits that you get with it. But, you know, it either speaks to you or it doesn't. But uh, you don't push tobacconists to do anything, I don't believe, in this world, unless you sign their paychecks. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Dan? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) No, Kurt and Sean, the general manager here at Twins, they're they're big into tobacconist university. They they um, they want all their employees to be certified. They'd love their bar tenders to be certified too. They've talked. We have that. that. Our newest program, the Certified Cigar Sommelier Tobacconist, is perfect for that because it's not as intensive as the Certified Retail Tobacconist degree, but it's really our biggest growth section. Um, There's so many niches, people with blogs and blogs and websites and who do events and specialties that you know support retail uh, women making cigar products women running women's cigar groups things like that so our cigar sommelier program has really become very popular and it's a streamlined system you know you can pass that exam in five hours of study but you know our thing is when you come out the other end we know you're not a moron you know things um but back to your other question i just want to say that tobacconists and what we do is really in, intense and complex, and we never got credit for it. And, and uh, like a like a sommelier, which is a diluted word in the wine field anyway, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, thankfully, Cigar Aficionado emerged, and then the other magazines, and a lot of really smart people on the internet. And the world started to see, wow, there really is a lot to cigar making and to creating a cigar. And um, that was, you know, the, the tobacconist work was never really validated and promoted, I think, until TU. Um, and, and so I think it sells itself to tobacconists who realize, wow, you know, the more you smoke, the longer you smoke, the more you realize how extraordinary um, the products are. And to be really great at servicing customers, uh, it's a big challenge. It's a heavy lift. So you've moved from Princeton down to um, Cape Coral, Florida. Well, not Cape Coral, but Florida, undisclosed location on the West Coast. I am between uh, Tampa and Miami, equidistant. Florida, <laughs> undisclosed location in Florida. It's uh, the layer is currently uh, being uh, finalized. Yeah. Now, are are you are you are you going to be running Tobacconist University basically virtually still down there, or are you looking to to have another you know brick and mortar? thing down there? Are you going to, you know, stay in the retail business or what's, what's your plans for that down there? Well, for now, I continue to have my shop in Princeton, New Jersey, but TU exists on the internet. You know, that's what made it economically viable and it still hasn't been economically viable till recently. Mm. So it just took a long time to pay for all the things that go into TU and it's been brutal, but no, we'll continue to be on, on the internet. But we have a lot of projects coming up, and being close to the cigar industry has got a lot of value to us, and it will in the coming months and years, especially, to be near Tampa, to be near Miami. Um, we need to be where the industry is. Um, yes. And I'll say this. The, the people who appreciate Tobacconist University are tobacconists. 
mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of consumers. We certify a lot. Uh, the people who could really up their game is the manufacturers and the people who sell cigars to tobacconists. And so we're going to spend a lot of time in the in the in the future um, making a lot of these companies realize how valuable their retail tobacconists really are. That's awesome. And what what are some of the other uh, um, where where do you want to see TU five years from now? Well, I just want to continue on the trajectory that we have, but this year we'll be uh, revealing um, a new program that is meant to help retail tobacconists. I don't think any business has more challenges in this country or this planet than the retail tobacconists. Um, yeah. I can't speak for other planets, <laughs> not this one. And so we really want to dig deeper and provide tools that retailers can leverage to help themselves. Retailers don't compete with other retailers. Retailers compete with the internet and mail order. Yeah. Uh, so, and and it, you know, what gives me a lot of hope is every day, almost every day, not literally, but I'd say three, four days a week, we have a, three days a week, we have a new shop opening that, that is signing up for some degree or looking to sign up for a degree once they're open. So it's a vital industry. The passion of our consumers is unbridled, you know, and um, we want to do anything and everything we can to support that um, because there's not enough support considering all the challenges. You know, and I'm not sure that you guys realize that, you know, New Hampshire is a great state for cigar smoking, but there's a lot of terrible ones. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> like like New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Massachusetts, where it's, I live. Texas. Yeah, I think uh, 25 years in New Jersey is like 50 in a normal state. I'll give myself credit for that. Yeah, no, you, the, the fact that you you not only survived, but made such a, a great shop at a great at a very difficult frankly, very expensive location, uh, says a lot, you know, not you, from about, about what you accomplished. New Jersey is so bad. When I opened that tasting room, mm-hmm. the health department came in and they said, oh, you're not going to have a TV in here, right? We don't, people shouldn't really be having a good time. And then they said, well, you probably really shouldn't have chairs in here because they don't need to be comfortable. And one of their ideas was literally like, maybe because of the way the law is written that allows smoking, in New Jersey, you're only allowed to smoke a cigar if you're sampling it with the intention to make a cash and carry purchase of a larger volume, which is complete nonsense, right? Because you can't measure a person's intention. Right. But the health department said, you know what would be good is maybe if we had a check-in list where people sign in when they arrive and sign out when they leave so we know how long they've been here. And I was like, that's like Nazi Germany. I mean, you want to literally track people's time smoking a cigar in a retail cigar shop. And I said something as dramatic as what I just said, like, that's ridiculous. And they backed off. I think they heard themselves, you know, the anti-smoking, do-gooding people of the world. Sometimes when they talk out loud, they realize, oh, maybe I've gone too far. Yeah. So we didn't hear about that again, but it's just a brutal state to do business in. And it depends on your local municipality too. Um, but we just happen to be in a really tough one there. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. It's crazy, yeah. Now, you know, you add on top of that, this last year we had the whole COVID thing. You know, how did how did um, a little taste of Cuba deal with that? How did that affect uh, Tobacconist mm-hmm. University? Yeah. Well, TU was great because we had, like, shops saying, hey, this is a great time to get our people in and study. Mm-hmm. And consumers would, you know, because it's very low cost, right? A consumer, our, our fanciest, hardest degree is $150 for a consumer. 
And so, you know, people want to be challenged because a lot of people say they know things, but sometimes it's good to prove it to yourself too. So TU fared well. Um, it was actually very comforting to be on the phone and, and get emails and people were, you know, in, in New Jersey, we were dying. Like you go to the supermarket, you, you, it was like a, an episode of like Ebola, you know, or you were worried, you know, people were going to be bleeding out of their eyes and out of their pants. So TU was really hopeful for me because a lot of people were coming to TU. Um, you know, our growth is excellent. We're up 108% this year. We were up over awesome. 100% last year. Awesome. TU was comforting. Retail was terrifying, you know, because, yeah. you know, the streets were empty and sure. uh, people were scared. Um, you, you could see the people that were really scared are just now getting a little less scared. And there were people with valid issues, you know, and illnesses or, or pre-existing conditions. So it wasn't like we judged people. We had some drive-by customers, but they were freaked out. Like, you didn't touch it, right? And, you know, we would honor people's requests. You know, they didn't want us to touch the box. So we would go to crazy lengths to honor what the customer wanted. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's surreal. I'll say that. It's unlike anything we've ever been through. Absolutely. And we were through 9-11 down there. That was crazy enough. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Very different. You know, two totally different things, right? So bizarre. Totally. But both changed the world. And 9-11, and I've never recovered from, honestly. And uh, I guess this, I don't have enough perspective on it to know. Because in life, you just muscle through, right? Right. You get the job done and you do what you do. And I actually spent a lot of time in the shop myself because I, all my employees disappeared. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I got really down and dirty. I cleaned everything. I inventoried everything. It was actually something I hadn't done in like 15 years. And I kind of loved it. You know, I love playing with cigars, not playing with, you know, I love the, the merchandising, the Tetris of it, the, mm -hmm. the philosophy, like, why should I put this here? Should I split the Padron box with naturals on the left and Maludos on the right? Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wow, let me clean the corners of this shop, which haven't been clean in 20 years. So, <laughs> and that, that invigorated me. It reminded me like that if you can do sh crappy work like that and still love it, mm. um, that's a blessing. And even when I was sitting there on my back, dirty, filthy, disgusting, I still enjoyed it. And so, um, you know, it was a silver lining to me. That's awesome. Um, now, one of the things that, that happened last year, you know, with all this COVID thing was that, you know, the, the PCA convention didn't happen. And as, as <laughs> to, to my, to my, yeah, <laughs> nothing happened, but to, to my knowledge, they're still planning on having it this year. You know, how, how important do you think it is for the industry to, to have that uh, convention this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important. I just, I fear for them because it's, you know, economically super important to them. And, um, you know, I just don't know how successful it can be. I just was reading that the rules and stipulations that conventions are going to have to go through in Vegas. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a new world. Um, but this is a, a human contact business and it's a relationship oriented business and human contact feeds passion, right? It, mm -hmm. It's part of the fuel that keeps us going. So um, we need it. We need the human contacts. Um, we need to see, uh, you know, I hate going to the supermarket now. You wear the mask or whatever. Even in Florida, we, we do wear masks. Yeah. And, yep. you, don't, you know, I smile and maybe people are smiling back at me. I don't know, but you don't see that. You know, there's a, such a disconnect, right, that people are not 
connecting with each other. So it's it's tremendously important. And I think the work that tobacconists do in retail, providing great hospitality is really important. And what we've done, you, me, all retail tobacconists mm -hmm. um, that, that take this seriously, to provide a place for our customers. I used to, our tagline when you worked for me used to be, um, your oasis from the outside world. Yeah. And, uh, it always meant something to me. Over the years, I really had to focus on tempering people and their political talk over the years. And, you know, you could, if you can't discuss things peaceably in my shops, then you don't have to discuss them at all. Because, you know, to me, the retail tobacconist is for everybody and everybody's entitled to the same amount of, uh, of hospitality and peace and whatever they're looking for in there, we're, we're happy to provide it as long as it doesn't infringe on someone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, the whole point of a cigar is is you're buying time for yourself. You know, you're you're buying the 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 space for you to relax, to enjoy the taste, the smells, the sights that uh, tobacco brings, and you know, you're creating memories. And and who wants that? You know filled with a smog of, you know, discontent and arguing and political views this, religious views that, you know, <laughs> it, it is. It's really important to keep that space because, so I mean, you meet so many people in the tobacco, uh, in, the, in a tobacconist shop that you'd never come into contact with elsewhere. You know, it's like this great leveling field. You, you have people who are, you know, um, blue collar workers or, or janitors sitting down with business owners. And for whatever reason, that cigar starts these relationships. And I've never seen that happen anywhere else. It's one of the reasons I love the business. Yeah, we have to work to protect it. You know, I didn't have a, a TV in my shops for the first 15 years. And uh, we finally caved in and got it. And we put it way <laughs> up on a, on a cabinet. We did, definitely didn't have one when you were there. No, you didn't. And we put it, and I hated it. And first of all, I'm a TV person. I leave it on, low volume, the news, whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, we put one up on a cabinet, and then I would dial in my camera. And as soon as the TV came, people stopped looking at each other. And then you would just see five, six people looking up like this at the TV. <laughs> it, you know, it changes everything. So I'm still not a fan of the TV in the shop. And now you see it now, you know. And then people complain about what's on the TV. And, it, you know, just shut your pie hole and enjoy the cigar. So... Things become distractions from the cigar or the pipe, and uh, that's not really helping. But that's another rant for another day. Yeah, we'll say, we'll save that yeah, for the didn't next. Didn't we? Like, around. didn't you have not have the TV on all day today here? Yeah, yeah. today, I, I, um, March fifth will be my year managing this store, and today was the first time ever the TV was never turned on the entire day, and it was a completely different experience. People talk to each other. People, you know, you know, did a lot more relating. There was great conversation. No one got rankled because of what, you know, was going on politically in the country. It was, it was great. Nice. It was great. So, you know, you know, here's a question everybody wants the answer to, Jorge. What, what do you, what do you do to recharge, to help yourself to relax? I moved to Florida. You moved to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I try and work out three, four days a week. I have a dog. I have a cat. Um, you know, I've been obsessed with creating what I've been doing for so long. And so I really moved down here to to focus more on one thing. 
um, to see my family more. My parents are older and I got them both. They've moved here to the West Coast. They're in different parts. They're separate, but you know, I get to see them more. The other day I took my dad to get his second vaccine shot. Nice. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to learn how to relax, to be honest. I'm trying to be learn how to how to be comfortable with myself. I find I don't have anything to prove anymore. You know, I think I spent the last 25 years trying to prove something. And now I just I'm coming from a different place. That's just a personal answer. Mm. Um, because I'm very passionate about what I do, right? So I don't have I don't play golf. You know, my hobby is creating and adding value to TU. Mm. And we have a lot of projects. You'll see the work that's gone into them as they get released this year, huge. So, um, you know, I have to do things that are healthy for me, but I have to also learn how to have a more balanced life. And, and uh, I guess that's a journey for me too. Sure. Um, we do something here on the show called the uh, Pastor Padron's Cigar Confessions. Uh, sometimes it's me entering the confessional you know, <laughs> complaining about what I see. Sometimes it's about educating people about how they can uh, enjoy their cigar or pipe experience better by doing something or by stopping doing something. What What's one of your pet peeves with cigar smokers? What is, what's something that you would really uh, challenge people to do or to stop doing so that they could enjoy their uh, experience more? Well, with so many, right? And when you're a tobacconist, there's a list. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you my favorite thing, because um, you just said that, and it came to me. And if you look on the website, we have a, like an FAQ about smoking too hot. And, you know, if you ash your cigar and your ember's pointy, you're smoking that cigar too hot, and you're not getting the flavors and aromas transmitted to you. You know, it's burning at the wrong pace. Right. My point to that is a cigar, and I love it. I wish I could articulate it better, but... A cigar tells you exactly what pace to smoke it at. Mm -hmm. and, and you need to listen to your cigar, right? And mm -hmm. and like Padron anniversaries make me slow down a little bit. Sometimes that box press mm -hmm. uh, makes me slow down, you know, and you could see it. It gets hot and it opens up here. But I think anybody who rushes through a cigar, that's one thing. But, you know, I'd like to see people listen to their cigar. Um, focus on your cigar. It's telling you how it wants to be smoked. It may not be what you want, how quickly you want to smoke it, but listening to your cigar, making sure it's burning right, it's telling you um, what it needs from you. And, and uh, that's everything, right? Because uh, you can have a bad cigar, but it might be your fault. Yeah, that's very true. Mm -hmm. and I, that's, a great, that's a great insight there. I don't think... Um, I don't think people think about that a lot, that the, the, the way the cigars rolled, the tobaccos that are used, um, even the age of the tobacco can dictate yeah. at what pace it's going to be best enjoyed. And if you're one of these guys who likes to power smoke everything, <coughs> Nick, um, <laughs> you might be missing out on a lot. On, on guy who's not there. Yeah, you are missing out on a lot. It's a totally different flavor profile. <laughs> you're not smoking the cigar you're meant to be smoking. I also think the um, the best cigars in the world make you stop. You know, no com I like to smoke alone. I find it really hard to smoke while working. I, I like, uh, you know, in a, in a great cigar like this Padron, Presidente, uh, Maduro, you know, makes you stop. You know, you take a great toke and uh, you taste something and it kind of blows your mind. And you're like, what? You know, I love a cigar that makes me stop to think about it. Mm. Um, so that's, an, that's not a pet peeve, but more of a, a preference. 
Yeah, no, that's awesome. So as we end up on the segment here, I know you need to be out of here by by nine o'clock. Um, what what kind of uh, flavor profiles? What kind of things are you picking up on your your presidente there? And how is how's your uh, scotch impacting the uh, experience of the tobacco for you? Well, I mean, you know, the cigar is rich. It's super complex. The scotch is gone, but that Macallan's my go-to. <laughs> right? so that's like drinking water. My brain separates the Macallan 12-year sherry oak cask from this cigar. But how about, you've been smoking Padrones. I've been smoking them 25 years. You've been smoking them probably that long. I've been smoking them longer. The consistency level of these people is so extraordinary. You know, I mean, I know they're vertically integrated. I know they got all that going for them. But it's just so amazing that they can blend this and you know exactly what you're smoking. Um, I find that to be the most extraordinary thing. The consistency of excellence is the hardest thing to achieve. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. So this is a secret. The Padrones might not be happy I say this. There was a time, and Dan, it might have been when you worked with me, that if you could get a box, like anniversaries had just come out in the mid-90s. Right. You could get a box of 2000s or a Londres or a Delicia, a regular Padron series, and you would smoke it, and it would smoke like an anniversary. Like yes. they, didn't, they didn't have the perfect, I think, differentiation of their ligas like they do now. Mm-hmm. So when that would happen, I would take these boxes, and I swear to you, these boxes would, you'd be smoking a 2000 that tastes like an Exclusivo, except you were paying $4 a stick for it. Um, those were exciting times when they weren't this perfect. I mean, they were, it's actually better than perfect. But um, the, so rich, the, the combination of richness and complexity, in my mind, they kind of invented this world. And it's out there now. There's a lot of great cigar makers. But I smoked this cigar, and I never... It's like the old man, Jose Orlando Padron. You know, he never failed to deliver his character, his excellence, and it's true for these cigars. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want greatness and consistency, you know, Padron does it for me. Yes, that is absolutely true. It, you know, 20-something years of smoking these, you know, obviously things change over time. But, you know, when you think that that, you know, different crops you know change the you just because you've got you know something from you know this leaf on the plant you know at this level you know last year doesn't mean that it's gonna create the same thing if you blend exactly the same stuff this year but they whatever they do that padrone quintessential flavor and experience is there in every single cigar it never really changes it's amazing, amazing to me one of the, can... i'm sorry the, one of the no, coolest things the old man ever said was if you with regard to fermentation which is one of my passions right and i know next to nothing about it because it's such an art form but he said if you have never lost tobacco fermenting because you know there's a very fine line where you go a little too hot a little too long and you 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 lose it mm-hmm. and he said if you haven't lost tobacco fermenting you haven't you're not trying hard enough Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with padrones. They're so robust, but they're so well balanced, right? And right. They, they, that, they're real artists at their fermentation. Um, and that's so, you mentioned all that with the crops too, but the padrones and the family members and the, the workers they have with them, which are like extended family, then they understand their tobacco. Yeah. And you get it to a place like fermentation, they understand that. But I love the idea of the balls it takes to say, if we're not losing it, then we don't know where the line is. Mm. And you, 
great if you don't know where the the ceiling is the line mm. yeah. and these cigars you know to to work with tobacco this charismatic um you know you need to go right to the edge it's a wild wild tobacco but it it doesn't fail to deliver very true dave what yeah. about you what's yeah. your experience with this um i'm enchanted i love this this is my enchanted. favorite padron i've ever smoked have you ever had it before, the Presidente? I've not had a Presidente before. What's standing out about the Presidente it that is, you have not had with others? It is very, to me, it is like super rich in taste. Uh, the uh, it burns slow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the uh, um, the cocoa. Uh, the there's like this. It's like a melody of like cocoa earth leather. There's like uh, like a, a spice and a pepper to it. Um, it uh, the mouth feel lasts a long time. Mm -hmm. um, Endless oh. finish. The finish was yeah, on. Yeah. Paul, what about yourself? Yeah, I would absolutely say the same thing. This this is a slow burning cigar uh, for me, and and I, like I said, I'm I'm not a padrone smoker per se. I've had a handful of them uh, since I started working here, and uh, but this is probably my favorite one so far. Yeah, uh, it, and the taste, I'm, the the flavors I'm getting out of it is, and this one is pronounced the chocolate flavor, mm -hmm. and I think the Jack is bringing out even more of that. Mm, is yeah. bringing out that natural sweetness, that chocolate flavor. It's it's uh, mellowing out the pepper a little bit, but uh, it's just a very very smooth, well balanced, flavorful cigar. I would say this is absolutely my favorite one. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite. You know, my my absolute favorite right now is the uh, Padron Forty Eight. Um, that cigar is a freaking dream house, and then the the Presidente is is my number two, and which is not to uh, downgrade anything. This cigar is I would put this up against almost anything. It's fantastic, uh, Jorge. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you have to to get out of here, so I don't want to hold you any longer. Than yeah, I wish we didn't have to stop. Yeah. Thank you so much. I know you've got so much going on with just moving down there and you're not even unpacked and everything. And nope. I really, really appreciate that you gave us an hour of your time. That was fantastic. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah let's yeah, do it again absolutely. when you can spend some more time. That would be awesome. Whenever you guys right. want. It's been really that's, great. That's awesome. Um, thank you very, very much. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. We're going to get ready to uh, do our pipe review. And... Uh, uh, but we're saying goodbye to Jorge. Thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it again. Thank, thank you very you much. Jorge. Uh, thank you, Jorge. So well, thank you. All right. We'll be back. That's it. All right, everybody. We are back. And uh, sorry that Jorge couldn't stick around for the second half of the show. He had, uh, he had to talk to some people over in India. And... Um, with the time difference and everything, he just uh, couldn't hang for the second half of the show. But uh, we're glad that uh, you all have stuck with us. And we are going to be doing the second half of the show with Gawith Hogarth's Kendall, Kentucky. And uh, let me read you a little description that uh, uh, from um, TobaccoReviews.com, which I guess would have been on the bag at, or whatever. But, uh, you know, things are, it's, it's a bulk tobacco, so it's not really from a tin. It says, uh, this entry in the Gawith Hogarth and Company Kendall line is 100% dark-fired Kentucky leaf. Exceptionally full and well-rounded. Kendall Kentucky is a full-bodied, full-strength tobacco of 100% African-grown, 
i.e. Malawi, Uganda, and Tanzania, variation of the actual Kentucky seed. It's uh, some very good stuff. It's made by uh, Gawith and Hogarth. Um, it's classified as a Burley blend, Dark Fire Kentucky, from those three different countries. No flavoring on this. It is a shag cut tobacco. You want to hand me that bag? Mm. Actually, let's, uh, let's <clears throat> show them a little bit of what's in there. Okay. Shag is a very Shaggy. fine cut of uh, tobacco there. You can see, <laughs> you know, you bring up a little bit of this stuff, you bring mm -hmm. up a lot. It is a very, very fine cut of uh, tobacco there. You know, maybe a 32nd of an inch thick. It's uh, really, really fine stuff. And um, because of that, it packs easily into your pipe. It's very easy to light it. Uh, even though Gawith Hogarth stuff tends to be on the moist side, it does not take a lot to light the stuff because of the shag cut there. And um, uh, we're continuing to to smoke it with a gentleman Jack, um, which we enjoyed with the cigar. What a great cigar that was! That was fantastic. That was a, a wonderful, wonderful cigar. Um, I don't know what it is, but the the Presidente in particular um, tends to smoke. I think better than most of the other 1964s that are out on the market. I don't know why that is, <coughs> but that's been my experience anyway. Yep. Um, wonderful cigar. Um, what's your initial thoughts there, Paul, on the uh, tobacco and the uh, pairing with the gentleman, Jack? Well, I got to tell you, when I was, uh, I first <coughs> lit it up this morning. And I was doing some research on the reviews, what people were saying about it. And the, my first initial thoughts were, okay, it's a pretty, you know, maybe medium at best, nice uh, fruit notes, a little bit of woodiness, a little uh, smokiness as well, too. But I was seeing, <laughs> I was seeing everyone saying how strong it was. Mm. And I just couldn't get it. But uh, about maybe f six, seven minutes in, I started feeling the the vitamin n <laughs> coursing through your veins a little bit so i said okay it, this is definitely the one <laughs> so yeah no i mean it's uh i was surprised you said it's it's 100 percent. it's a burly blend but it's it's 100 percent kentucky mm -hmm. and uh but i'm i actually got a lot more of the the fruit notes initially off the first few drawers mm -hmm. and uh but the uh, fruity woody smoky um little earth to it too but mm. very very well balanced very very smooth you get some like roasted nuts yep mm -hmm. that too roasted yep. nuts off of this that's mm -hmm. what i'm picking up along with that nice smokiness and this you know being that the, the tobacco used in this is fire cured mm. it's you know but it's not nearly as pronounced a smokiness as like a latakia for nope. instance um it's it's a it's it adds some depth it adds some flavor but it's not obnoxious at all. Um, it's very, very good to me. Dave, what yeah. do you think of this stuff? Yep, I get a lot. I have, wait, wait, wait. so the, I actually smoked it out of a different pipe earlier, mm -hmm. and I'm happy I moved to this one because I guess uh, I think the whatever I smoked in the bowl prior or the or the briar was probably getting in the way. So the nice thing about a meerschaum is that it's very neutral. Mm -hmm. um, I'm getting a, a lot more of those uh, dried fruit flavors, and it's mixed with the, the roasted nuts. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like the uh, the sweetness is being brought out a lot more with the pairing with mm -hmm. the Gentleman Jack there. Yeah. Um, and the retrohale is absolutely amazing, I think. Mm. 
now I'm looking up here. Um, um, uh, Sticks for Chicks, uh, a.k.a. Heather, says it's a distinguishing mark for consumers to see certified tobacconists on staff, especially uh, if it's a new-to-you shop. It's a guarantee of a level of knowledge and professionalism. I, I, I really agree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to be around cigars and tobacco and to kind of, you know enough about it to talk about it, but you kind of know what, I mean, I, I kind of compare it to, um, you know, like my wife is a, is a, is a CNA. She's a certified nursing, you know, assistant. Um, and, you know, the, sometimes, you know, when, when I'm sick, she's sick or the, the girls are sick, you know, you go online and you start to self-diagnose stuff. And it's like, you know, just enough to be dangerous, (laughs) but not necessarily enough that you really can make educated, um, uh, pronouncements about this, that, or the other judgments on this, that. And I think, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, people who work in cigar shops can get caught up in that, that they can, you know, yeah, I've read Cigar Aficionado, I've, I've read Cigar Snob, and I've, I've been around this stuff for years, so I don't really need to do anything else. But I, I think when you read his book and you, you look at some of those videos, you, 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 get, you do, you get a whole lot more actual knowledge of the stuff that you're trying to sell. And I think that is so important because, you know, again, what you're, what you're really doing as a tobacconist is, you know, selling, you know, you, you, a person is buying a cigar or a pipe tobacco or a pipe or whatever to take time for themselves to sit and enjoy. And you want that, that experience that they're going to have, whether it's in your shop or it's at their home to be as good and as positive as it possibly can. And that means you need to really know, you know, um, about how particular tobaccos are going to taste, how they're going to smell, how they're going to uh, interact with what that person is going to be eating or drinking. And so having that extra knowledge, uh, I I think is really what makes the difference between um, a place, you, you know, that just, is trying to make a buck mm. and a place that is really trying to, you know, build good relationships with their consumers. You yeah. know, what, what do you guys think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 ah, yes, Dave. Thank you so much. Yes. Dave concurs. I, I think what we, what we bring to the table, because I've read the book and mm-hmm. I know Dave's read the book and I know Nick's in the process of reading the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but the knowledge that you get from that um, and you add to it the knowledge that you may have had already mm-hmm. um, just helps you to differentiate yourself from other cigar shops in the area. Um, and you can impart that knowledge to your customer and you'd be surprised how much of a sponge they are to absorb a lot of that because they'll have customers come back in and they'll they'll reiterate or they'll tell you what you told them the last time you were they were in mm-hmm. about that you know talking about let's say you know the maduro wrapper let's say the sumatra what's what's the different characteristics you're going to get out of it mm. and you know i'm a big lover of maduro uh maduro leaves no way and, really yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I have a, I mean, I have a passion about that. So I'll tell a customer. So, so some customers will come in and they, they'll, they'll 
kind of shy away from those cigars where they think it's too strong. But when you tell them specifically what a Maduro wrapper does for a cigar, you know, it adds richness, it can, it can sweeten up a cigar, it can help to maybe tone down uh, some of the intense tobaccos inside the fillers. Um, and then they, they get it and then they'll try it and they'll say, wow, that was something I wasn't expecting. Mm. So I think the knowledge that you bring to it, you know, again, from the, from the tobacco, tobacco in his handbook, um, that, uh, that Jorge has written, um, can help to educate the customers and then it, it gets them excited too. Yeah. About, you know, the product that they're buying and then it helps them to actually maybe take a leap of faith and try a cigar and maybe try another one beyond that. So I think that's mm -hmm. where we as tobacconists can help uh, the consumer. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I remember something that, uh, uh, Jim Price said that he, his big pet peeve is people who call cigars sticks. Yes. And yep. I'm very guilty of that. You know, that's a really good stick, you know, but yep. you know, he, he really thinks that that denigrates all the work and, and, uh, passion and effort that goes into making cigars and yeah. when you read a book you know like uh, the tobacco uh, the um, um, tobacconist handbook you know and you learn everything that goes into it and how much work and how many people are involved yeah. with doing that and you know the book also goes into pipes and pipe tobacco and yeah. all the work that goes into that yeah. and when you you know have an appreciation for it the the passion the time the effort the money the the expense that goes into making this product uh you know it really helps you appreciate it more yep. and the more of yep. a passion you have for it the more uh that's going to come across to the consumer mm -hmm. and the more they're going to appreciate what it is that they're uh smoking and enjoying if you if you're excited about it you're going to get the customer excited about it yes it's contagious. Exactly. Well, after, yep. For me personally, after reading the book, I enjoy cigars more, mm. you know, because it gives you a different perspective. Uh, uh, you know more of what to look for. You understand more of where the uh, what you're looking for for taste mm -hmm. because you understand the process. You know, um, it's 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 an enlightening, enlightening experience. Mm. Yep. Oh. Mm -hmm. This tobacco has become one of my favorites. I can't stop smoking the stuff. Mm. It's it's just got such a unique taste. Yep. And you know, on the one hand, you know, it's all dark fired Kentucky, you know, um, but it's from three different places. And you know how, and again, this is something that I learned, you know, when I you know, trained under mm -hmm. Jorge, you know, went back when it was Cuba Cigar University, yeah. that the soil, the climate, yep. you know, has a big impact on how that it, it uh, tobacco is going to, to taste. And when you, you know, take the same kind of seed, but you grow it in three different countries with three different, you know, climates, e even though there might be similarities between those, the end result is the soil is not going to be the same. The the climate is not going to be exactly the same. The way it's harvested is not going to be exactly the same. But so you take this one type of thing and you mix it together yeah. and you get this really very nuanced and complex uh, smoke that's very enjoyable. And it's got this little bit of mystique, mystique, 
mesquite goodness <laughs> going on with it. You know, there's there's notes of earth and wood and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the roasted nuts, but it's very smooth. It is very, very smooth. And there's this nice little peppery spice in the retro. It's got a great finish that kind of lingers a little bit, but not so much, you know, not nearly as long as the Patron does. No. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the Gentleman Jack just goes great with it. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that the sweetness of the, the Jack is, is heightening some sweetness in the tobacco there. Yep. And, is adding another layer of depth to this. And um, again, you know, understanding how what you're eating and what you're drinking impacts your experience of the tobacco, again, mm-hmm. is, is another thing that's talked about in the book yep. that I think is really helpful. It really helps you be able to, to um, narrow down what, con- what your consumers are looking for and how to maximize that for them. Right. I mean, we had talked about potentially looking at bourbon for the pairing tonight, mm-hmm. but we've done bourbon so many times. And, and trust me, <laughs> I, I'm a huge Hurt. I love bourbon. <laughs> you know, bourbon's my favorite brown liquor. All right. Mm-hmm. It's no question mm-hmm. about it. But knowing that the Padron 64 is more of like a medium plus smoke, I know from my past experience with Padrones, and again, this one really exceeded my expectations mm-hmm. of uh, of what I would what I thought I would get out of it but I knew it needed something to to help maybe just complement it on a on a mellow mellower basis mm-hmm. you know bourbons can be you know 100 100 proof plus uh, this is only 80 but it's you know the like I said the double mellowing process just kind of smooths out the jack uh, more than the original so I think this one really did well with the uh, the cigar, but I think you're absolutely right. This is this is a perfect pairing for this tobacco as well. Yep, Paul is quickly becoming a spirit master. Mm. Great yep. pairing. Yep, it's one of the things that yep. he's been growing in since the potion master has not been able to yep. be with us as often as she would like. Yep, I think or she, I at think least she, as we would like. I think she'd be. <laughs> I think she'd be proud of me tonight. Mm-hmm. She'd be proud. She'd be proud of me every night. <laughs> well, you know sorry. Let me rephrase that. Should be probably every time we do a pairing. <laughs> oh, that's going on. The uh, okay, I know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Now, um, Dave, I know you had a, a selection of. Uh, is Dave just well, one small my, kind of yeah, setup? My selection play. came down to one because. You know, <laughs> My uh, my notes were on my phone, which is currently our camera. So I had, <laughs> um, so I had to like re look. That's up why they invented paper, Dave. You could write yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's why I got that phone because it's got a stylus. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, a lot uh, of good is doing you now. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. My my uh, blowing smoke question. Yes. Is uh, um, um, uh, 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 what what is it? Where was I? I don't know where I was. What? So what's what is it? What's I'm, your question? So the words in the tobacconist um handbook, uh cigar and tobacco. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tobacco is listed or is in the book the word more times than cigar. Okay. Um, am I blowing smoke? Okay, okay, Uh, I get it. So, it was the word tobacco used more than cigar, Uh, and that's you're saying it was, and that's what I'm supposed to say. Yes, the tobacco was listed more times than cigar. Um, 
I'm I'm going to say uh, you are not just blowing smoke. Okay. I'm going to say the same. You're not just blowing smoke. So, and if I'm wrong, you should be just blowing smoke. <laughs> well, I was blowing smoke. You were blowing smoke. This c- cigar, cigar, is cigar is listed one thousand one hundred and two times. I'm sorry, one thousand one hundred and twelve times. One thousand one hundred twelve times. And, and uh, um, tobacco was listed nine hundred and ninety nine. So let me guess, you have an app on your phone that deciphered how many times tobacco <laughs> was listed in the book versus the word cigar. Well, the cool thing about having having the book on my tablet is I can search. <laughs> I can oh, my God. Yeah, I don't I think did, in about I a five-minute span no. you were able to like count personally how well, many that times. Was, that was my original one of my three, four. <laughs> Wait! Oh shit! I need I to start over. Five. So yes, it's uh, it's great, very helpful. Mm. Um, yes, I forget what my other question was. Well, but, that uh, does speak to his to yeah. his uh, confession that uh, cigars are really his passion. Pipes are not even a mistress, um, and you would use tobacco. You know, obviously, you know when you're talking about pipes. But if your passion is really cigars. I'm not surprised, I guess, that 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 is the... Now, how many times do you think Maduro was listed? Maduro. How many times? How many times was Maduro in the book? Fucking... You read it, Paul. You should know. You're Pablo (laughs) Maduro. I don't have that app. (laughs) (laughs) Your your phone isn't... I'm going to say say maybe a hundred times. Yeah. I'll say 500 times. 26. 26 times. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad. How do you feel now? <laughs> Maduro was only written out 25, mm-hmm. 26 times. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Are you going to be okay, Dave? Yes. Good. All right. Um, uh, I had so many questions for, for uh, uh, Jorge. And now he's gone. My master has left, and uh, now we're now we're just here amongst ourselves. Um, you know, I can't believe that it is March already. Mm. We had this incredible day today. It was in the upper forties. You know, now I know it's it's going to get cold for a day or two. Then mm-hmm. it's supposed to you migrate know, back up again. Migrate yeah. back up again, and it looks like spring is finally. You know, spring uh, really is kind of just around the corner. Uh, Do you think? March has always been, a, 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 to me, it's always been an extension of February. <laughs> because, and, and, it's a, and it's a cruel month because you know two things. You can see it getting lighter out mm-hmm. earlier and staying out, uh, staying later. Uh, we turn mm-hmm. the clocks ahead in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yay! Um, so when we leave at 5, 5.30, you'll still have light to you know enjoy uh but it all it we have not had a blizzard yet this year no that's true and i'm praying we don't but march has always been one of the months that we always experience a heavy snowfall and there's Mm. always like the april fools kind of april fools can it can can bleed into april too dave you know that's why i always said that new england seems to be a five to six month winter area you know, we can we look look. This past year, we had snow in late October, mm-hmm. 
and then it just kind of continued a little bit, little by little, into November, December. We had a break in January, and then mm. in February first, it it's it it started snowing, and it snowed off and on through every the month. Monday. Yeah, mm. that's right. Every yeah. month, exactly. It was every originally Monday. Originally supposed to snow yeah. tonight. Yeah. Now there's there's no real snow in the in the immediate forecast, but mm -hmm. you know we're again this is only March first. We've got you know thirty days to, time. to. I wonder if Jorge's going to have an extra room in the house he's buying. <laughs> I've never quite understood why I moved back to New England. Well, that's another. That's I, I a, that's loved, a, I loved Florida. That's I another topic Florida. too, because a lot of people I know, or sorry, I'm I'm running into a lot of people that I have known that is considering or has made either a temper, a, 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 a is looking in Florida for either a second home or to move down there. Yeah, and I think Florida right now. I've I've actually. Uh, yeah, we talk. My my girlfriend and I talk about potentially moving back, moving to Florida. She lived in Florida for a while, okay. And, and so we always, you know, hypothetically think about moving back to Florida. I think after last year, we probably are more than <laughs> more Likely. than fifty percent sure we're <laughs> going to do it at some point. But we just go. We we started started researching the real estate listings just to mm -hmm. see what's out there. And you would be not be surprised, but the amount of real estate that is pending or sold is incredible mm -hmm. and it doesn't make a difference really what part of florida you're looking at even the million dollar plus homes are going quick yeah. so it, i think this is this big influx of mm -hmm. people that have just decided to just make that transition now here's the question is it really a bigger influx of people or is it we're just older and tired of dealing with this crap i think it's both <laughs> <laughs> Because, I mean, there was a time where, you know, New England was fine and you know, I love the yeah. seasons and you got the mountains, you got the you got the um, uh, ocean right there. You can do whatever you want down Florida. You know, the highest point is 300 feet above sea level. It's the flattest state in the country. Um, <clears throat> and I was glad to, to live there, you know, but I went down there for school. I didn't yeah. go because I thought it was the greatest place on earth. Um you know, but I would certainly, you know, as far as climate wise, I would much rather deal with the humidity and heat yep. down there yep. than with the cold. And the, I would rather deal with hurricanes yep. and tornadoes than than blizzards. Yep. I think it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think people have just made the uh, ultimate decision that they, just like you said, Dan, they, they mm -hmm. want to get out of the colder climates. Um get into that nice warm to hot uh, area and they are willing to put up with the heat and humidity during the summertime. Um, but it's also too, uh, what happened last year with all the, the big city lockdowns and mm -hmm. all that, I think they're looking at Florida as almost like an oasis. You know, mm. Florida is one of the few states that has actually opened up a lot more than any other states have. Yeah. There's only really two states, uh, Florida and South Dakota that uh, are, are it's almost like a bubble, mm. you know, where you can go around. And again, you know, Jorge says they're, they are still wearing masks, but I've talked to several people who have either lived there, lived there or have visited there, and they say there's a lot of places that don't, they're, they're, they're anti-masks, yeah. you know, well, anti-lockdowns. I, I, I have a good friend down in Florida, and she, she I never, we, you know, talked video talk and stuff like that uh, through Messenger and you never uh, talk with her on video or well, Messenger? Well, oh, we always do. Oh, you always do. And, uh... She she never has a mask ever. Mm. They don't wear masks where she is. 
Yeah. Nope. Everything's normal. <clears throat> yep. A lot of it depends on the the town and the locale. You know, yep. Um, how much news the, they watch. You know. And and well, the cities, <laughs> the cities down there. I'm sure that you know, like Orlando or Tampa or Miami. I'm sure there's a lot of mask wearing going on, and around those suburbs. But there's places, there's small towns down there where yep. everybody is so spread out. You know. Uh, there's no problem with social distancing because <laughs> the next house is a mile that way. You know, it's, it's, it's outrageous. Yep. But even so this is, it's just like this community that is just, how do I put it? it they're, they're, they've decided they're just going to live their lives and not worry about it. And they're, they're, they're congregating in, in, in larger groups. They're going to bars and there's, Really, and it, like you said, it is depending on whether it's a larger city or a smaller suburb. Right. And the smaller suburbs, and I've talked to someone who lives down there, and he says, it all depends on where you live. Yep. If you live in Miami, you'll be dealing with that. If you're living in a small suburb, you're not going to have to worry about it. Right. You know? Right. It'll be interesting to see how this goes as variants 2, 3, 4, 12 go through. You know, I'm you know living in Massachusetts. I'm thinking I'm going to be... Stuck inside my house with my kids for the rest of my uh-huh. life, yeah. unless I move. Yep. yep. Good grief. Yep. It's crazy. Um, what do you think? Are you ready for a little uh, would you rather? Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's see. Here's yeah. the question, and uh, we'll start with Dave. Oh, boy. Okay. Dave, would you rather get matching piercings or matching tattoos? Ooh. Oh. Oh, tattoos. Tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not in the piercing thing. No? No. No. They're a little too, too. Both of them include needles. needles. Yeah. No, no. No. I already have one tattoo. I plan to add more. So, yeah. What tattoo do you have? Uh, I have a Yoda. 2D, I have a 2D barcode, remember? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which I intend to make into a, a Borg ship. A Borg ship. Yeah. A little Star Trek action going on. Star Trek action, which means I'm going to have to compliment on the other arm some Star Wars action. So you're going to get, you're you're planning on uh, complimentary tattoos, but Mm. not the matching tattoos. No, I do matching tattoos. What would you do matching tattoos? Oh, I mean, what do you mean by matching? Do you mean like, you know. The same. Well, do you mean like with a person? Like another person? No, on you, on your body. No. Matching matching tattoos. tattoos. I mean. Yeah, I don't know, you know, like something on the the wrists, you know, something like that, or maybe something on the fingers. What is that something? I don't know. I'd have to think about it. You could you could do tattoo sleeves and say "daved and confused" on both exactly. your left yeah. and right arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Paul, what about you? Matching piercings or matching tattoos? Matching tattoos. My matching friend. tattoos. Yep, no problem with that. I already have a tattoo, and I like as, like as Dave says, I I've always wanted to get a few more, but I just never got around to it. But absolutely, I would go for it. Matching tattoos. I'll get Pablo Maduro across each peck. Nah, we, won't, we don't want to see those, Dave. <laughs> no, I'll do sleeves. <laughs> Pablo Maduro. <laughs> wow, that's that's get it across. This is one of those situations where I'm, I'm very glad that Nick isn't here. Yeah, I, I really don't want to hear his answer, no matter what it is. Uh, oh my gosh, I get matching chickens. This, this 
this is my chicken. <laughs> Watch him waddle as I flex my pecs. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I don't need to hear that. Uh, I'd probably go piercing. Really? I, you? I, I'd, I'd probably get my ears pierced. Oh, come on. You know would you really? Get, you'd get your nipples pierced. Come on. No, I would not get my nipples pierced. <laughs> no. No, I mean, you know, if I, if I get a, if, you know, my thing is, you know, if I if I get a tattoo, you know, like, uh, say I, I get a dolphin, you know, tattooed on my arm, you know, by the time I'm 90, it's going to look like a whale, you know, it'll spread out so much and grown so much, you know, I, I, I don't want that to happen. I can see Pastor Padron on both arms, dude. Pastor Padron on both <laughs> arms. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Pastor Padron on one side, Darth Piper on the other. Mm -hmm. There you go. Well, there you go. I'd I'd rather get my ears pierced. That's that's what I do. Mm. Um, next week, people, we have another amazing show set for you guys. Uh, we're going to be joined again by uh, baseball great and cigar enthusiast Orlando Cabrera. Oh yeah, and he's going to be joining us for a discussion on aging cigars with bourbon. Mm, nice. And uh, one of the things we're going to be enjoying is um. Uh, 724 uh, has uh, a dog walker sampler, which is a series of six dog walker, you know, short Corona We're gonna smoke uh, cigars, all of them. and uh, they're aged in Jack Daniels bottles. Mm. And mm. it is amazing how that impacts the flavor yes. of cigars. And Orlando likes to age his cigars with bourbon. Yep. And he, he gets a little cup you know, shot glass of bourbon and puts it in the middle of, you know, with the, the boxes of cigars and lets them sit for a few months. And then he takes that out. But that, that time the cigars sit with that bourbon in the humidor really um, impacts the flavor of the cigars. And so we're going to be talking about aging cigars and using things like bourbon to really kind of add another dimension to the cigars that you're smoking. So it's going to be an all-cigar show next week. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're always glad when Orlando's here. He's such a great guy. Mm -hmm. Great, yeah. humble guy. Good friend of twins. Great friend of the podcast. Yeah, We're excited about that. So thanks for being with us tonight. Mm -hmm. We'll see you guys again next week, 8 o'clock, right here on YouTube for uh, Time with Orlando Cabrera. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, yeah. everyone. And that's not just blowing smoke. Nope. You've been listening to Not Just Blowing Smoke, the podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and keep in touch with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Not Just Blowing Smoke. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that is not just blowing smoke.